It seems almost like the book of Jonah could have ended at the end of chapter 3. Jonah has corrected course. He's gone to Nineveh, fulfilling God's call to give them God's message. The people of Nineveh completely receive the message, and they, everyone from king to cow, put on sackcloth and ashes, the visible expressions of lament and repentance. And God sees what they do, and he responds. The people of Nineveh are spared from judgment, experiencing the grace of God changing the trajectory of their lives. This could be the successful end of a story of a prophet who ran away, who returned to God's call, and was used to bring new life to a great city. The book could have ended with a prayer of thanksgiving, like what Jonah gives from the belly of the fish in chapter 2, but this time prayed by or on behalf of the people of Nineveh. They would have said, deliverance does belong to the Lord. But that's not how the book of Jonah ends. It doesn't end with a prayer of thanksgiving. Jonah's response in these these, uh, verses reveal his inner turmoil. It turns out that three days in the belly of a fish after being tossed overboard in the middle of a hurricane wasn't Jonah's low point. It seems that instead this, the success of his work as a prophet, is Jonah's low point. His prayer here is not a prayer of thanksgiving at being used by God, It's not a prayer of recognizing God as redeemer and savior. No, this is a prayer of anger. It's a wish to die. One of the ancient translations of this text has a pause where we just paused at the end of verse three so that we can let all that's happened, all all that Jonah has said, let it sink in. So we're going to sit with this too. Jonah's anger and God's grace are the keys to our big ideas this morning. And the big idea is that there are times when God's grace exposes our fear and disrupts our stuck places. So as we pause here, let's pray together. God, thank you for the opportunity to gather, to hear from your word. Thank you for your work, Holy Spirit, in our lives up to this moment. Um, We know that you are active. There are things that you have been doing, things that you will be doing. I ask that our time together this morning will be used in your work, knowing that you, um, you bring what you've started to completion. So we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So first, we'll start with Jonah's anger. And I summarize his idea or his words this way. God, I know you and I don't want you to be that way with them. When there's a big reaction that doesn't seem to fit the situation at hand, like Jonah's anger at God's response to Nineveh, it's important to pay attention to it. This has been something that's important for me and myself and also in others too, that having a posture of curiosity about an emotion and what it might be saying getting curious about where it might be coming from and what things might be able to learn going deeper into it. So instead of judgment or dismissiveness, having curiosity. When the big reaction takes place in the context of another person's story, that's also helpful too because there's a little bit of distance and it can give opportunity to see something that I might not have been able to see in myself. So we're going to use Jonah's story like that this morning. First as a window to see into something bigger going on for Jonah, but then also as a mirror for ourselves. We'll get curious about Jonah's big reaction by building some context first, 
about how Jonah got to where he is, beginning first by asking, what does Jonah understand about God? He says he knows God, so what does he know about God? And how does this inform the way that Jonah thinks about Israel and about Nineveh? So the first part, Jonah says, God, I know you. In 4 verse 2, Jonah says he knows God to be gracious, compassionate, patient, and loving. These are beautiful words about God. This is a beautiful theology. It's a description of God that's repeated throughout the Old Testament, which is the first part of the Bible, telling the story of God's chosen people, Israel. It's the way that God describes God's self at the beginning of Israel's story, after they've been rescued from enslavement in Egypt, and God is with Moses on Mount Sinai, giving the first words of God's covenant with God's people. God has revealed God's self in these ways to Israel, and this has been a big part of how they understand themselves and how they understand their relationship with God. These words about God are spoken particularly, particularly when related to repentance, reminding God's people that when they turn from their intentional or unintentional areas of rebellion, that God will respond, that they don't have to fear turning to God, because God will respond. So this is good news for Israel, that God is like this, because throughout the Old Testament, we see individuals and the whole community rebelling against God. And God stays with them through their seasons of rebellion, responding to them when they repent and declare their need for God and their intentions to live in obedience to God's loving call. Jonah grew up on these stories. He knows these stories, and he knows that these things are true about God. He feels really familiar and comfortable in applying those words to us, but not so familiar or comfortable when applying them to them. While God's call on the people of Israel does set them apart from other nations, God's intention is for all the world to be blessed through God's people. Israel's chosenness is not intended to be an ownership of God, but it's a responsibility to tell and show the world about God and what it is to live in response to God's call. Jonah's understanding of this call and blessing, however, are insular, centered on Israel as its sole recipients. Jonah wants God's steadfast love, but he wants it for Israel, and he wants God's judgment for Nineveh. So the second part of the statement is, and I don't want you to be that way with them. We've heard in previous weeks about why Jonah wouldn't want God's grace to go out to the people of Nineveh. They were Israel's enemies. They were of the Assyrian Empire, a superpower that oppressed nations like Israel. They didn't follow the community rules of Israel, and they worshipped other gods. Jonah doesn't want God to send him to be a blessing to Nineveh. That's the last thing he wants to do, and that's why he runs. And when the blessing happens anyway, Jonah is angry. In Jonah's mind, God's grace, mercy, patience, and love are reserved for Israel, God's chosen people. Because of Jonah's understanding of God, Israel, and Nineveh, Nineveh's forgiveness is not good news to Jonah. Jonah, in fact, would rather die than live in a world where people like the Ninevites are forgiven and receive God's grace. Nineveh receiving God's grace, compassion, patience, and love seems unjust to Jonah. It seems unsafe to Jonah because it goes counter to his understanding of how God should be and with whom. 
Jonah is afraid of what that may mean for God to be this way with outsiders. The fact that Jonah has a big reaction to God's grace isn't what the problem is here. So I, I want to say that intentionally. It's not the big reaction that's the problem. It's the fact that Jonah gets stuck in his anger and that he doesn't allow God to press him on it to reveal Jonah's need for repentance. Jonah's need for turning away from his own wrong ways of thinking towards God's revealed truth. Jonah's anger isn't moving him toward anything, but is keeping him stuck in something. He's digging in his heels. Jonah's angry response to God's grace exposes a couple of areas of fear. The first being displacement and the second being shame. Displacement is the fear that an individual's or group's central role is going to be taken by another and that that loss of place will mean insecurity, a lack of resources, lack of power, lack of access. Losing these things can feel like a loss of identity, a loss of purpose. In Jonah's case, fear of displacement asks, if God is gracious, merciful, patient, and loving to people like Nineveh, Will Israel still be God's chosen people, and will there be enough for us? Jonah wants to protect Israel's privileged relationship with God. Jonah's anger at God's grace also expresses his fear of Israel's shame. Would Nineveh's repentance mean Israel's condemnation because of Israel's own lack of repentance from their disobedience to God? Would the fact that an outside nation responds to God's call mean, point out even more the way that Israel hasn't responded to God's call. Jonah turns from Nineveh to protect Israel from this possibility. These questions of displacement and shame, triggered by God's grace, are bigger than what Jonah feels that he can handle, which is why he ran from God's call in the first place, why he slept through the storm, why he told the sailors to throw him overboard, and why now he is angry enough to die. So after his prayer asking for death, instead of responding to God's question about Jonah's anger, Jonah goes outside the city to sit and wait because he is sure that Nineveh will backslide and that God's judgment will still come. So now we'll turn to God's grace, which is summarized this way. God says, I am who I am, and I want to be who I am with them and with you. While Jonah wants God's grace, mercy, patience, and love to be distributed in a certain way and to particular people, God is not bound by Jonah's expectations. Jonah does not have any control over what God does or how or with whom. God is the initiator, the source. Anything that we know or receive about God, it's not because we earned it, created it, designed it. No, we're able to know about God because God reveals God's self to us through what God has made, through what God has done, through God's call, through the story of God's people, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. We are not in control of any of this, and this is grace. This grace is truly amazing, but it is also disruptive, as Jonah experiences God's freedom exposes Jonah's bondage to his set ideas about how God is to be and how the world is supposed to work. Jonah is angry to the point of dying because God, in God's freedom, chooses to be gracious to Nineveh, 
Jonah is angry that God brings grace to what Jonah thinks should be a justice party. Jonah is most comfortable with God's grace when it's directed at Israel and when it fits within what is comfortable for him. However, God's grace doesn't work within Jonah's comfort or expectations, which is why it triggers Jonah's big response, his defensiveness and protective mechanisms, and it overwhelms him to the point of wanting to give up. And yet, it is still God's grace. It is still the work of a loving, compassionate, patient God. Will Jonah trust this? Perhaps the counter-response to Jonah's desire for control is trust. Will Jonah recognize the opportunity to reorient his world around who God is rather than what he believes God needs to do to maintain Jonah's security, comfort, and expectations? Now we'll look at the second half of this. God saying, I want to be who I am with them and with you. Chapter 4, verses 6 to 11, show that while Jonah waits outside the city for God to bring something upon Nineveh, God continues to show up with Jonah, gracious in providing opportunities for Jonah to see where he is afraid and stuck, to repent and to return to God. Jonah sits outside the city, waiting for God's judgment to blow through. And a wind does blow in the morning, but it blows on Jonah. Just as God shows compassion to the people of Nineveh by providing an opportunity to repent, responding in grace when they do, God does the same for Jonah, but will Jonah see it? God appoints a shady plant, a worm, and wind as means of grace to make Jonah aware of his fear and stuck places and to stir Jonah to repentance. First, as Jonah is burning up both in anger and in the sun, waiting to see what will happen to Nineveh, God provides a shady plant to grow over the shelter that Jonah has built. To the extent that Jonah was very angry earlier, Jonah is now very happy. This, Jonah thinks, is truly amazing grace. Jonah is then content in his self-righteous stakeout, and so God provides a worm, perhaps the original very hungry caterpillar, to chew through the plant in the night, causing it to wither, and God provides an eastern wind exposing Jonah to intense heat to challenge Jonah's comfort. This grace doesn't feel so amazing. Again, Nineveh responds to God's grace when it came to them in the form of a word of warning carried by an unwilling messenger. Will Jonah now respond to God's grace? We'll look at Jonah's response. Again, this is my summary. Jonah says, I don't want to live in a world where the people of Nineveh are forgiven and where comfort is outside my control. After God's grace in the form of the hot wind, Jonah is truly exasperated. The withering of the shady plant, the exposure to the hot wind and the hotter sun are too much. He repeats his desire to die, saying it would be better to be dead than to live in this experience. God leans in with a question asking, are you that deeply angry about the plant? While Jonah didn't answer God's earlier question about the extent of Jonah's anger about God's grace to Nineveh, instead, when he made the beeline for the desert to wait for God's judgment there, Jonah responds now. Jonah is emphatic that his anger is bigger than his will to live. Jonah doesn't budge. 
His anger is so deep. He's angry about Nineveh, about the implications of God being with Nineveh like this, and he's angry about his discomfort in the heat of his own stakeout. We wonder again, will Jonah respond to God's grace? Will he recognize and turn from his dead-end ways of thinking? The only thing that we see Jonah turn from in this passage is God's compassion. Jonah has a barrier that he can't let go of, that he may not recognize. What is keeping him from seeing his need and from receiving God's grace? In Jonah's prayer of thanksgiving from inside the big fish in chapter 2, Jonah says that those who follow worthless idols forsake goodness and kindness. It seems here that Jonah is doing just that, forsaking goodness and kindness. So what has become Jonah's idol, causing him to forsake God's goodness and kindness? What is he turning to instead of God? Jonah's idol is his worldview, his understanding of how things should work and be for God, Israel, and outsiders. His worldview places himself and his people at the center and prioritizes outcomes that are to his and his people's comfort. It's an idol because he ascribes to this more than he ascribes to God, who chooses to reveal God's will, who alone is right and justified in judgment, and who exhibits grace freely. Okay, now that we've unpacked what's going on in this chapter, Jonah's response no longer seems to me too big for the situation, at least as he understands it, because in his mind, his framework for the world is being disrupted. It then makes sense that his response to this is anger, even a desire to die. He truly can't imagine a world where the people of Nineveh are forgiven, where his comfort is outside his control. It disrupts everything he believes and everything that he needs to be true for things to feel ordered. But the question, I still have the question, does he receive the opportunity to address this? Because God presents him with opportunity after opportunity to address this stuck place. Jonah's story ends with God pointing out Jonah's concern for a plant that Jonah had nothing to do with. Contrasting this with God's, with God's care for Nineveh, which God as creator has everything to do with. While we don't get to know Jonah's response, I believe that God stays with Jonah, continuing to offer grace after grace. I believe Jonah continued to be invited to release his hold on his worldview and his comfort as security, and to lean instead on the one whom he can trust, who is always secure. I started our time by saying that Jonah's story would be both a window and a mirror. So we've looked through the window and seen more about what's going on for Jonah, and now we'll turn to the mirror and ask, how is God's grace exposing our areas of fear and our stuck places? First, we'll look at areas of fear. Jonah is afraid of God's grace to outsiders and how this will bring Israel's displacement and shame, or how he believes it will bring Israel's displacement and shame. What do we fear as individuals, as a church, as a community, as a country, as a culture? Do we fear displacement from a place of privilege that will come as outsiders are brought in? Do we fear shame at the potential exposure of how our individual or collective past has not been accounted for? 
Or maybe it's a fear of scarcity, that there's not enough room or not enough resources for me or for us, and that we have to work to maintain it on our own, even if that puts us up and against others. Learning from Jonah, I believe we can be tipped off to the existence of these fears and the way that we might be allowing them to shape our worldviews by paying attention to our responses of anger, defensiveness, self-righteousness, dissociation, and self-protection. We can pay attention to places in our lives where we rely on us and them thinking. Places where we find ourselves willing to run, willing to fight, to protect against these fears. Now we'll talk about stuck places. Jonah's worldview, Israel at the center of God's grace, mercy, patience, and love, is Jonah's stuck place. Because of his worldview, he can't see how God's grace towards outsiders is a good thing. He can't see it as anything other than a threat to his understanding of the world and as a trigger to his fears of displacement and shame. When he chooses to act on his worldview rather than God's call, he makes his worldview an idol, a barrier to him rejoicing in God's grace and compassion to Nineveh, and even a barrier to him receiving God's grace for himself. What are our stuck places as individuals, as a church, a community, a country, a culture? Is it a worldview like Jonah's that is centered on an in-group and an out-group of people, whether that's defined nationally, politically, ethnically, racially, or culturally? Is it an ideology that we're so committed to that when it's challenged, it feels like life is ending? Or maybe it's an internalized, untrue belief that's been about ourselves individually or as a community that's been born out of a hurt that's been done to us or something that we've done. Worldview based on our experiences can become an idol, something that we look to for direction and that we trust more than we look to and trust God. We may rely on our protective and our productive strategies more than we trust God's care and provision for us. So finally, we'll talk about response. Again, it's not Jonah's big response that is the problem. It makes sense for a big response to result from the exposure to fear and the disruption of stuck places, as that's a very unsettling experience because it feels unsafe and unstable. The problem is that Jonah's response doesn't lead him toward repentance, towards God's grace and compassion, but it digs him more deeply into his protective strategy of anger and dissociation. When, in God's grace, our fears are exposed and our stuck places are disrupted, how will we respond? Will we be curious about our big reactions of anger, our dissociation, our desire to run or to fight? Will we allow God to be with us, to lean in with questions? Will we receive God's means of grace that lead us to repentance, regardless of what those means of grace look like? accepting our need for God and the way in which God offers God's self to us. I want to point out here that even, it's even by God's grace that we're able to have this conversation about God's grace. Because you and I, we, we were outsiders to God's story, and God brought us in. I started by saying the, uh, God being known as gracious, compassionate, patient, loving, was something that was part of Israel's story. Um, 
I'm, I'm not from uh, the people of Israel. Um, maybe some of you are. Um, but God and God's grace expanded God's story from the chosen people of Israel to include us. So it's even by God's grace that we're able to gather and to receive um, the truth that God has for us. And this is because of God's grace, God's choice, this is where immense hope comes in. Because God's grace gives opportunity for us to see our fear and our stuck places rightly, to release our fear, to get unstuck, maybe once and for all, maybe little by little over time. God's grace is in this revelation, leading to response, leading to transformation. It's by God's grace that we're made aware of things that we otherwise wouldn't be able to see. It hurts to be exposed this way, but it's, but it's good. There are things so familiar about our ways of being and thinking as individuals, as a culture, that we can't know them unless they're pointed out to us. We've inherited, created, and been influenced by inflexible systems and inflexible ways of thinking about others and about the world. Systems like racism, classism, sexism, nationalism. But these are challenged when disrupted by God's grace. This is good news because we are not stuck. When we enter into the vulnerability of confession, lament, and repentance, like Nineveh did, we can trust God's response toward us because of who God has revealed God's self to be in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, and in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. God has chosen to be God with us, speaking the truth in love, redeeming, and bringing new life. God is merciful, gracious, patient, and steadfast in love. So thank goodness that God, in God's grace, exposes our fears and disrupts our stuck places, and that our fear and our stuck places don't inhibit God's moving in freedom. I'm going to pray for us before we enter into a continued time of worship. God, we are thankful that you have moved toward us, not because of anything that we've done, but because of who you are. Thank you that you have brought us into your story And that the intention for your call is for um, your glory, your name to be known throughout the whole world. We confess the places where fear has caused us to become stuck. And Holy Spirit, we invite you into our understanding and our courageous first or second or however many steps to address the things that you're revealing to us. Thank you that we can do this knowing that you respond to us with grace and compassion. Thank you that we can do this as a community, that we are supported by one another. And Jesus, thank you for your presence as our good shepherd leading us through all of these things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.